Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Show. I'm your host, Brendan Freehart. I'm joined today uh, uh, by Dave Bowen. Hi there. How's it going? Good. Uh, Dave is here from his company, Measure. So what do you do at Measure, Dave? So I am the, uh, I'm the vice president of solutions development um, at Measure. And uh, Measure is a, is a commercial drone services company. So um, in that capacity, I, I oversee um, our entire service catalog. And um, you know, manage the the development of new solutions, um, both uh, w- within our, our our turnkey model of business, uh, which involves um, our own uh, pilots uh, flying our own drones, creating data products for customers in a variety of industries, or um, our toolkit model, which is um, uh, where we're essentially enabling our customers to fly their own drones um, to create uh, these uh, these data products that are uh, helping them to improve um, operations in uh, in their given industry. Cool. Um, so the the toolkit solution is that kind of a composite of different features that you offer in your turnkey? Yeah, exactly. So you know we we consider the toolkit uh, kind of a, a drone program in a box. So mm-hmm. um, you know it, it uh, it's comprised of you know an equipment package that comes with you know, everything you need to fly a drone, extra batteries, ruggedized case, sensors, you name it. Um, in addition to that, uh, it includes you know, in-person pilot training, um, program management support mm-hmm. uh, that's you know that can be in the form of um, a help desk they can call into um, to answer any questions they have from our expert uh, flight operations and, and data and drone engineering mm-hmm. uh, folks. Um, we also have developed our own software, um, which we call Ground Control, which is um, both a, a flight control application that allows uh, our customers to more easily fly the drones themselves. Um, as well as a uh, flight program management application. So it logs uh, all the data, the telemetry data that's um, being collected um, by the drones whenever they fly, organizing that and, and analyzing it um, to help uh, the, the individuals who are overseeing that program get a sense for you know, how their pilots are flying, um, you know, how their equipment is performing, we recommend uh, maintenance schedules, um, things like that. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm flying a commercial air jet, I take apart the engine. I think like every three flights, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming with drones, you don't have to be that careful because uh, I think you can pretty easily keep your um, civilian deaths to zero. I, not to get well, too morose uh, right now. Yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, not, let's not go into this situation where that wouldn't be true. But yeah, no, I mean, but yeah, you know, I will like say, what is maintenance like for? I guess that's what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, like, a lot, right now, um, it's interesting in the, in the industry, things are changing so rapidly. You know, on a six month, twelve month cycle, right. new drone models are, are coming uh, are coming out, and oftentimes you don't really need to do a full overhaul if you're you know within six months. Oh wow! But it's you know, it's more about um, you know, it's more about showing you when 
um, components are potentially failing and allowing you to head that off. So most of the maintenance is, is relatively straightforward. It's something that you know our customers could do themselves. Okay. You know, um, but uh, you know when something. Um, if you know if they're experiencing a potential engine failure, um, something like that, they they need to know about that before they go out in the field. So it's really about providing sort of an additional uh, layer of um, of safety and oversight. Yeah. Um, for for our customers, your drone fleet that sounds really powerful. Uh, so who who keeps maintenance on that? Thing? Yeah. So so we actually have um, you know so we're we're uh, we're based in Washington D.C. Um, that's where the majority of our, our kind of front office staff is. But we have offshoots um, in New York. Um, our, our media division so is, is, is based there. Um, our drone engineering department is in Huntington Beach, California. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so they, uh, they you know, are the ones that are sort of managing our, our inventory, um, you know, performing that, that ma- those maintenance and repairs that, that uh, need to happen. Um, what type of lenience do you get on making work trips to Huntington during the season? <laughs> yeah. Do you get a per diem on saying I have to go to California right. for some reason? <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I've not, uh, sadly, I've not yet uh, visited the uh, the office out there. It just opened up uh, several months ago, but, um, well, let you me know, know if you need a volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I know. In uh, January in, uh, in the mid-Atlantic, it uh, starts to, you know, Los Angeles starts to sound pretty good, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to last. Um, well, the weather is interesting, but uh, the the data product that you were, um, I think you were telling me about earlier. So uh, data products are really difficult to to really get to land. And in your capacity as a, a VP, um, it sounds like you actually are tasked a lot with trying to understand what is it that the market really needs, what is going to be providing value to people. Um, and drones and such in the in the nascent state that the industry is in now the potential seems limitless so how do you take that massive set of applications and say to your customers here's what i think is going to be valuable and then you know sell that internally i guess you can you can talk about too yeah so um you know that it's worth saying you know up front that um i mean if anyone who's been sort of even just reading regular newspapers has probably heard a lot about drones i mean right. drone stories pop up you know everywhere i just read one in the economist the other day you see it in the new york times the wall street journal washington post you know what have you it shows up all the time and um, most of them are are very um you know very general <laughs> and kind of vague and a lot of it's kind of like you know drones of the future um all these commercial applications right. and then they just sort of list them um but what they don't necessarily do a good job of is um is saying you know which are, are more real and which aren't right yeah um so you know within our company we we focus uh primarily on on you know the applications that we know uh can work right now um given the current you know technology stack Given um, you know customer um, adoption and and uh, you know the um, the ability to take the data products that we're producing and and um, integrate those into their workflows, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's also the you know the regulatory environment that um, affects certain applications. But you know when it comes to developing um, data products for our customers, you know what's really key for us is actually is getting customer feedback on you know what works and what doesn't, and you know really. Um, understanding, you know, how our customer operates and, um, you know, how whatever we're producing can, can be used by them. And I think you've seen this in, um, you know, over the last few years, 
with a lot of uh, you know companies that um, have have struggled is you know that they're they're taking an approach where you know they they produce something and maybe really cool mm-hmm. like, you know this 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 new data product, but if it forces your customer to change what they're doing, um, you know to to adopt that and and use it in their operations, it can be a really tough sell. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's difficult to be connected to the market in something that the demand might not necessarily exist yet, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, changing workflow is is, is such yeah. an uphill battle with any product, right. let alone a data product. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but that's um, that's really interesting that you said that uh, because the ability to actually create useful features is is such a easily said but almost impossible to master uh, task. Um, so. I'm going to use that as an awkward transition point to talk about your career because it sounds sure. like what might help you uh, create this transparency into the market is it was a bit circuitous, right? Yeah. So, ready, Dave, tell me all about background Dave. What is, yeah. What, so, there? yeah, no, I, as, as you said, I took a rather circuitous uh, route to, um, to get into this industry. And so, you know, at my current company, Measure, um, I've been here for uh, three years. Um, I was the I was the second employee at the company, so I've been there kind of from the start. Um, and uh, you know, three years and in, in the drone industry is, is kind of like a lifetime. Um, but <laughs> yeah. you know, but my but my route into it was uh, was you know, uh, yeah, as you say, it was a, a little roundabout. So you know, I I graduated um, college. Uh, uh, a number of years back with a degree in history, actually. Um, and I took that degree and, you know, my first job out of school was working for the, um, the forest service. Where did you study, go to school? Uh, Colorado college. Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Our producer, Cynthia is very about the, uh, the pedigree. Oh, yeah. okay. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Colorado um, college. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, from there I, I went and worked, um, on a, uh, forest service, uh, project as a bio- biological study of goshawk population. So goshawk's kind of a, a small, you know, sub canopy, uh, forest dwelling hawk. Um, and you know, we were studying this hawk to, um, understand, the broader health of the um, you know uh, forest ecosystem in the Southwest United States. I was working just in the north of the Grand Canyon, Arizona. Please tell me you tried to use that as like a as like a past experience in drones. <laughs> did you, in your interview, did you say I didn't? Well, you know, there there's some companies that are training uh, birds things. of <laughs> birds of prey to uh, to intercept drones and those guys. So there, maybe there's some connection there. I don't know, but yeah, just flying things in general. So yeah, I did that um, um, for. For a while, and uh, after that, actually, I moved abroad. Um, I worked for several years in Japan um, on the the, the Jet program, which is uh, you know a program where um, you get placed into public uh, schools, uh, the public school system in Japan, and you're you know teaching English to students there. So I did that for um, a few years. And How's your uh, Japanese? It, it was great when I left. <laughs> um, I, I was you know close to fluent, I would say. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's degraded a bit since then. Um, yeah, yeah, I know I I should, uh, I should make more of an effort to keep it up. Um, and, uh, yeah, from there, I mean, I, I actually, my, I was imagining I would join the, uh, the foreign service of the foreign commercial service, which is like the department of commerce's branch of, um, the foreign service, uh, when I left. So I actually ended up in DC, um, cause I was doing a, a master's program in, uh, in international affairs and business. Uh-huh. And, Georgetown, um, right? 
Georgetown, right? I've heard of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, towards the end of the program, I realized, you know, actually maybe the, maybe the foreign service is not, is not right for me for a number of reasons. And I started um, thinking about other opportunities. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I got connected with um, the current CEO at Measure and um, learned a little bit more about the company. And, you know, I thought it sounded like a, a fascinating idea um, in a fascinating industry. And um, so I started working there part time. Um, when I was uh, finishing up my, my degree and then came on full time after that. So, and, and I've been, you know, in my capacity at, at measure, um, you know, when I started, uh, it was a smaller company. I was doing a little bit of everything and I got, um, insight into, a, you know, a, a number of different, you know, functioning pieces of, of a company, you know, the flight operations team, the, the data engineering team, drone engineering, um, the sales and marketing side of things. And in my current role, I'm I'm kind of acting as that that nexus um, between all those different groups, mm-hmm. um, helping to you know to uh, refine, um, well, define and refine um, our product offerings, and making sure that those align with um, you know, sort of corporate uh, strategic objectives, and um, you know what we what we think uh, is the best you know, possible product that we can offer to our customers in the market. Yeah, the, I mean the the drone industry. It, I'm sure I don't have to tell you is such an interesting place to be right now, um, <laughs> uh, and but well, so before we get there, uh, uh, which is kind of the the core of our topic today, uh, I, for risk of being too existential, like what gave you the, um, I guess, courage to make so many big career pivots? It, it, it's kind of an impossible question to answer, so I apologize that it's such a big one. Yeah. but like that's really. Uh, pretty remarkable that you made those different jumps and have been able to touch so many different things and been very successful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting, I, I, I guess, um, you know, to, to touch on our millennial theme, um, <laughs> that we're going with here. I mean, I, avocado toast. Yeah. Right. Well, I think, you know, growing up, I mean, maybe, maybe you experienced the same thing, you know, we're constantly told, uh, just, you know, do, um, uh, you know, as long as you, you know, you work hard and you believe in something, you'll succeed, um, you know, no matter what it is, like, just believe in yourself and you can do anything. Um, and actually, I think I found, like, when I was, when I graduated from college, I kind of had a bit of an existential crisis. I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. Totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like, there's so many different things I'm interested in. Right. You know, how can I, I mean, that's great if I pick something and work towards it and I can achieve it, but I don't, you know, what what's my, you know. It what what do you like do if you don't have a singular focus? Exactly, yeah. right. Um, and so that, you know, it caused me no small amount of, of consternation um, when I was, uh, you know, in that that um, that period, you know, right outside. And, of course, I decided to go work in, uh, for the Forest Service, which was different from the degree I pursued. But I think, um, you know, for me, it was really just, uh, you know, um, just following what I, you know, what I did find um, personally interesting and, and fulfilling. And, um, you know, sort of worrying uh, about, you know, how I would form that into, you know, this kind of career arc um, later. And, I, you know, obviously there's considerations that go into, you know, I mean, you have to make a living. You, know, right. you have to like, <laughs> I mean, there's there's some more, you know, mundane concerns that you also Do have I to take. Have it's roommates like, when I'm right. It's like, you yeah. know, you can't just, you know, you can't just be like an unpaid intern for, you know, for the, um, but, you know, I think finding that balance between, you know, what, you know, what I could do to survive and then also, you know, not being afraid to, um you know, to pursue something that didn't fall into a sort of traditional, um, you know, the first step in a traditional career path. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm happy where I ended up right now. Uh, That's really great. Um, so getting back to drones, uh, 
with the time we have left. Uh, I find it to be an incredibly interesting, uh, I don't know, what do, you, what do you want to call it, vertical or industry, um, because it is in such a different place than most industries. In ter- and, and really, I'm thinking about regulation, which is um, often a dirty word for investors, right? Uh, but you have this situation where there hasn't been clear standards for piloting, um, there hasn't been, maybe I'm wrong, but clear standards for uh, for insurance policies, what happens sure. with this stuff, and safety, right? Yeah. Um, and that's almost become a barrier to um, what a lot of these Atlantic and New York Times articles might be saying is up, right. up next. So um, all that to be said, uh, uh, where do you see drones going in terms of um, its evolution in a commercial area? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to, you know, take a step back first and just sort of define the regulatory barriers that, you know, the industry does uh, um, encounter right now, you know, there's a few um, rules that uh, are, have, uh, you know, a large amount of, of relevance um, to the, the various use cases that we can serve. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other rules that affect it as well. But, you know, the, the two sort of primary um, things that are holding back, uh, you know, a lot of use cases right now are, um, you know, the uh, inability to fly beyond the visual line of sight of the, of the pilot. So you can't fly a drone, you know, really far from the base station, right? Um, and then the other uh, issue is, is uh, not being able to fly drones directly overhead of uh, people who are not participating in the operation. Um, so doing large-scale mapping, um, you know, missions, uh, things, you know, operating in, in dense urban areas um, can become a, a really big challenge. And so if you think about things like, you know, building facade inspection, like that becomes really difficult to do in like New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, um, you know, flying over, uh, you know, an area that's just been flooded to um, create a, you know, a stitched like orthomosaic map of the area that can help first responders to, um, you know, pinpoint where, you know, where to go first, right? Those are the kind of things that are, that are being held back right now. And, you know, it's, there's still some, um, you know, within the United States, at least, there's still some confusion over kind of who is going to, who's going to be the regulator, right? Mm -hmm. Traditionally, it's been, it's the FAA. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the FAA wrote a lot of these rules, as you said, as you stated, um, when, you know, you think about flying objects, it's, it's helicopters and airplanes. And um, now we're talking about a different type of airspace, ultra low altitude airspace, you know, zero to 400 feet. Right. And, um, you know, and it's kind of, do the rules make sense, even though they do have to be in the same airspace, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, no, I think, I think you do need, you do need a different set of rules. And, and FAA is working towards that. I mean, they, they've, you know, um, they created, uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago, the the uh, Part 107 remote pilots license. There's a separate licensing procedure, right? I was ask you about that. Yeah. Are you a, are you a pilot? I am, actually, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, do you think people know if they're pilots? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like like, if, they, if they have that 401 accreditation uh, oh. they don't, do you think they know they're supposed to be flying stuff and checking out... Uh, Shingles on a roof. Um, I don't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope so. Um, but you know, I mean, I mean, actually, this is part of a, the broader um, challenge as well. Is that you know, hobbyists are not really regulated right now. There's there's kind of a carve out, um, and you know, when Congress uh, reauthorized the FAA's um, you know spending bill, they they uh, they stipulated that you know hobbyists would be regulated separately from commercial operators. But I mean, obviously, I'm a, you know coming from a commercial operators. Uh, perspective on this, but you know, commercial operators have much more incentive to fly safely 
um, than do hobbyists. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of the concerns about drones in the airspace right now, um, you know, potentially colliding with manned aircraft or, you know, people, and they can be dangerous, you know, you have to, you know, you sure, have to yeah. follow a set of procedures, you know, you, um, you know, you have to follow a maintenance schedule, you have to um, really keep track of your, of your aircraft um, to, you know, to make sure you don't have a situation where a drone, I mean, a drone, even a relatively small one that drops out of the sky can significantly injure or kill someone, right? Um, but, you know, again, I think it's, 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 um, you know, it's really like, you know, a lot of the, the people who aren't really aware of the rules um, and that are going to be, um, you know, causing most of the trouble. Um, you think and, so? Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, it's drones are, are becoming an increasingly, um, you know, popular uh, toy around yeah, the holidays. Say, and it's like a Christmas gift now. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are rules for hobbyists that they should follow. You know, you're not supposed to fly within five miles of an airport. You're not supposed Yeah, I think it's just interesting because there is, um, uh, you know, as you were saying, it's just this like reverse risk profile for an investor, not necessarily a hobbyist, but like mm-hmm. if you wanted to deliver food with a drone, yeah, uh, you could probably make a lot of money doing that if there were rules already in place. Right. Right? Yeah. And you know, <laughs> if it was clearer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I'll say that, I mean, the FAA is moving as fast as they can on this. Right, and, right. Um, you know, one, uh, you know, program that they introduced uh, recently um, was this integration pilot program, UAS integration pilot program, um, which is trying to answer this question, which I, I stated before, of, you know, who's regulating mm-hmm. ultra low altitude airspace. And, you know, states and municipalities have issued rulings on on uh, uh, you know on airspace, <laughs> but it's not clear whether they actually have the authority to do so. So the FAA oh, is wow. kind of um, putting out an olive branch and saying, "Hey, you know, let's let's work on this program. You know, we'll allow you to partner with private uh, companies to propose you know um, loosening of the rules, like including rules like I just talked about, like beyond visual line of sight." flights for people over the geographic areas that that state or municipal government covers, right? And so actually with our, you know, Measure, uh, my company, we um, submitted a application in partnership with um, with the D.C. government to gain access to um, the special flight rules area around D.C. I mean, I don't know if everyone listening necessarily knows this, but you're, it's really, uh, yeah, it's really hard to, uh, to fly. Um, any kind of aircraft in DC, there's it's you know very restricted airspace for obvious reasons. There's right. a lot of you know um, sensitive infrastructure there, and uh, for drones, there's a complete ban for um, you know a number of miles around uh, basically the White House. Yeah, so, um, and also I think uh, Dulles is pretty. Maybe I'm just talking uh, out of nothing, but it, it, it's pretty oddly restricted airspace there, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the special flight rules area goes out to, yeah, it's out to Loudoun County. I right. think it does cover Dulles, but you, you're not allowed to fly within five miles of Dulles anyway either. Right. So if you're um, like typically, a roofer. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be difficult. And I mean, there's, I don't want to go too far down this because there's, there's lots I can talk about on the regulatory okay. side, but <laughs> right, there right. are some programs that are um, you know making it easier to fly around airports. Um, it's one called Lance that the that the um, FA recently instituted. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it's you know, um, it can be a challenge to find a lot of locations. And um, and uh, you know, I think at when those uh, restrictions are loosened, you're going to see a lot of of economic use cases um, like linear infrastructure inspection, wide scale mapping. 
um, oh, yeah. you know, wow. flights in, in urban, uh, you know, dense urban areas. Um, a lot of these use cases which are being held back right now are going to be unleashed um, as soon as that happens. So, um, right. you know, we're as a company, we're really excited uh, for this, um, you know, this this evolution of, uh, of rules. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, something that will will help. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of like, safety use cases and, and create a lot of economic, um, you know, uh, drive in the in the coming months and years. Cool. Are you up for a little lightning round? Uh, sure, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's your best career advice? Uh, <laughs> I guess, I mean, you know, following my own path, I would say just, you know, don't be afraid to take a risk to, um, you know, to pursue something that you find that you find interesting. What are you reading? Um, who I, are you reading? <laughs> so I just I just finished a book um, called The Evolution of Beauty by Richard Prum, who's an ornithologist. So, sorry, I still have an interest in birds. Um, yeah, right, right. And uh, it's you know it's about um, you know uh, actual like sexual selection as a as a different mechanism from natural selection in the process of evolution. And oh wow, that's really um, cool. Yeah, and now now I'm reading a compendium of uh, Greek uh, mythology. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the next question is obvious: is what's your favorite bird? Oh man, that that's a really tough one. Actually, I guess so many favorite birds. Um, I guess so. It's it's got to be the goshawk. You know, I got I have a personal yeah, connection to right, the goshawk. Right, right. So. It would be mad if you didn't yeah. say that. Um, uh, what about uh, the name of this show? <laughs> no, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, what's the coolest thing you've seen done with a drone? Um, th- that is also a difficult, uh, question to, um, to answer because there's just, there's so many wild use cases out there. But, um, one, I guess that I saw recently that was pretty cool, um, was, uh, you know, a drone, um, being used in Australia actually to save, um, some swimmers who were, you know, uh, drowning, um, or, you know, about to drown, uh, uh you know, Sounds when they were, yeah, so they, they, uh, they flew a drone over to them and dropped a, you know, kind of inflatable, um, you know, uh, lifesaver. And, uh, these guys were, uh, able to, you know, hold on to that until, you know, the, the actual, um, uh, you know, lifeguards were able to get out to them and then pull them back safely to shore. So that's, that's just one. Yeah. It's just, there's so many interesting applications like that. And, you right, know, right. Like, you wouldn't just, you wouldn't think about that off the top of your head, but. That was pretty cool. Well, our guest today was Dave Bowen. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.